Good morning, Sarepta. Thank you for letting me into your house again this Sunday morning. I feel privileged to be among you again. The last time I was with you, I was telling you about life as a camping pilgrimage. We live not in permanent mansions, but in temporary and fragile tents. And I told you that there was a word from the Lord that was sent to me by a good friend who said that the call, and I believe this is a specific call for you at Sarepta, is to pitch our tents in a land called hope. The tent canvas, if you will, is the scope of our lives, our sphere of belonging and influence, family, relationships, connections. Faith is the main tent pole that holds up that fabric. And it is held in place by four tent pegs. The first being the presence of God, the second the love of God, the third the word of God, and the fourth the sovereignty of God. And I invited you to spend three to five minutes a day just meditating on those four realities. Just driving them deep into your soul, driving them into your particular hope land. Today I want to take a little more in-depth look at the last of these, the one I called the sovereignty of God. This is the foundation, this idea, this understanding that God is sovereign. It is the foundation for all the others. It bases everything on the single great truth that God is, as the Hebrews call him, the king of the universe. That's what sovereign means, king. That God is not only sovereign, but that he has all that he needs to maintain that sovereignty. He is omni-everything, he is omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. That he has all authority, that he rules and reigns, that he alone can create everything out of nothing. That with one flick of his finger, he can move galaxies. That his plans and his purpose will win through. That at the end, every knee will bow to him and confess that he is the king of the universe. There's a real danger going on at the moment that many young theologians are renegotiating God. They're, they're thinking about God as, well, he's, we can shape him, we can, we can conform him to our culture. When I spoke to you last time about the idea of the sovereignty of God, I shared it from a text in Jeremiah, uh, verses, chapter 29, verse 11. Well known. A text that many people quote. I know the plans I have for you. Notice the word plan. Uh, control. The plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. The context of this prophecy is that it happened at the start of 70 years of exile, when it seemed as though God's promise to settle Israel in the land of Israel had been broken. They'd taken into exile in Babylon. And so at that moment, God exhorts them. And he says, you can take this to the bank. This is going to be a time. He even gives the length of time. He says 70 years. And, um, and then he says, and at the end, I will 
bring you back to this land and I will reestablish you. I will do all that is necessary uh, to ensure that my promise is fulfilled. But in the meanwhile, there's going to be a little detour. 70 years. That's nearly two generations. And, uh, and what he says is, while you're there, don't, don't put everything on pause. Don't abandon your faith. Don't just say, well, what will be, will be. I want you to settle in the land, build houses, plant vineyards, marry, have children, increase, don't decrease, seek the well-being of the city because the well-being of that city will determine your own well-being. And so there is a sense in which we are to engage and occupy even while we wait for the fulfillment of the plan. Stephen Covey, when he speaks, uh, writes in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, talks about beginning with the end in mind. Every, every determination, every decision I make should always have in mind this fact. It's going to be concluded at the end in the, con in the hands of God, in the, in the understanding of the fact that God is the king of my life. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 1, after he had wandered around in all kinds of ideas of philosophy, he said, So I reflected on all this, and I concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. All share a common destiny. He speaks about the end. And he says, this is the end of all the living. Um, and so, let the, let the wise lay it to heart. Here, he says, is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. God is going to be the final arbiter of what what took place in the world. Paul says something along the same lines in Philippians chapter 1. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And then he finishes like this, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He didn't live in the future. He didn't pitch his tent in the future. He pitched his tent in the present, but with an absolute certainty about the, the way that the, his life was going to end up. Our focus, in other words, from all of these people of wisdom is that uh, the, the, the message is that our focus should be on not only on the future or the end, but on the fact that God's goal for us is certain. So what does it mean for us to meditate on and to drive home that particular tent peg of the sovereignty of God? First, let, let's take a moment to reflect on what it is not. It is not fatalism. It's not the Muslim idea of inshallah or of the Italian idea of que sera, sera. It is not escapism. There's a saying that I've used before with you that says, neurotics build sandcastles in the air, psychotics live in them, and psychiatrists collect the rent. 
That's a kind of escapist mentality. It is not, on the other hand, um, abandoning responsibility. It is not just kind of floating. Uh, it is not rec recognizing that, what w that uh, the, um, the outcome is certain, and so what difference does it make what I do? Nor is it watering sovereignty down to mean a game of chance. I hear people in the, in the struggles that we've been going through using Romans 8.28 to say that, to say, well, you know, God will make all things work together for good. We, we've got no control, and so it doesn't really matter. Understand that the plan of God, the good to which he is making everything harmonize, is the good of conforming us to the image of his Son, and that is what he is going to get done by the end of your life. He is going to get it done. In the meanwhile, there are details, and the details are for us to take responsibility for, to respond to, to deal with, to make the right decisions and choices about. So sovereignty is, is the admission that the measure of success for our lives lies not with myself, not with other people's opinions of me, not with the way things pan out, but with God himself. Jesus, in John 17, verse 4, in the great high priestly prayer, he says, I, Father, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So glory was the end. The way to glory was fulfilling the plan. Secondly, we, sovereignty is understanding that there are two different words and therefore two different meanings of the word, the will of God. The Greek words are thelema and vulema. Uh, the one means desire, the other one means determination. Um, I want you to picture it for a moment, to change the metaphor. Picture it as a, as a river that is flowing. The river has boundaries. And those boundaries uh, w won't be broken. There's, there's, a, there's very clear boundaries, there's limitations. The river can only flow within those boundaries. But right in the center of the river, there is a stream, there is a current. So around the edges of the river, you can go down, you can paddle, children can play. Um, there are tadpoles breeding, there's, there's, uh, there's not a lot of energy going on, there's just a nice, peaceful, restful uh, reality called a river. But if you go into the middle of the river, suddenly you are no longer in control and, and the river carries you. There is this current that carries you where you want to go. When Peter talks about prophecy, for example, I want to use this as a little picture for you. When, uh, when, when he speaks about how prophecy came about, he said that prophecy came about not by the will of the prophets, but as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They were carried, they were, they were taken where God wanted them to go. Now, I want you to picture this, a prophet going into the river called the will of God. That's the, the, uh, the, the broad strokes, the thelema of God, the desire of God for your life and for the world. 
Right in the middle is the vulima, which is the, the, um, the part where God makes very strong decisions, where God is determined about what's going to happen. When the prophet goes into the middle and gets into that current, he is carried and the spirit carries him where he is supposed to go. Here's the important thing. While he's in the current, he decides what stroke he's going to be doing. So when we read the prophets, uh, we read everyone from Isaiah to Amos to uh, Habakkuk to, to um, Joel and uh, Jonah. And each of them is unique. Each of those books uses a very unique language. The idiom that is used by the prophet is unique to that prophet. Isaiah is called the golden-tongued prophet. Uh, whereas on the other hand, Amos is a farmer and, and, and he speaks like rough language, rough Hebrew. Um, now, both of them are included in the word of God. Uh, but, um, and, and God was very deliberate about, I want Isaiah to express this particular thought. I like the stroke that he does when he's in the current. I want him to express himself, and it will be included in the canon of Scripture. Uh, at the same time, Amos is doing the same thing, and God includes him. And so the, the, the concepts, the ideas, the will, the purposes of God are declared by each of those prophets, but the style with which they do it is determined by the prophets. And then God goes, that's my boy, and he includes their words in his word, or he makes them into his word. Now, the same thing is going on in your life. You are, you are within the bounds of this, what we call the permissive will of God, the fact that God has, has boundaries out of which he will not allow your life to drift. He has, he has protection. He has measures in place. There are angelic uh, protectors that will make sure that you don't go over any waterfalls, that you don't, um, that you don't kind of go off into a, a tributary and get stuck. God is overall, he is making sure that you are herded. Like a good shepherd, he is herding the sheep. You will sometimes hear a word behind you saying, no, 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 go left, go left, go left, when you shall turn to the right. And, um, but at the same time, in the middle, while you're there, while you're going through circumstances and you go, God, why are you allowing this to happen? He goes, it's because I've got the outcome. And so now you exercise the, the grace that I've given, given you. Exercise your strength. And as you exercise your strength, I am forming Christ in your life. I am forming a, a strong character. I am forming resistance. I am forming a strength and a robustness of faith. I am forming you in terms of the way you understand me and the way you interact with me. So understand that while God is micro-focused, he sees when one hair falls off Alan Blackman's head. And, uh, and so he's a little more bald yes today than he was yesterday. He sees that. He is not micromanaging it. He's not the one that's plucking the hairs. He's not the one that's saying, okay, we're going to take out four today. He is, he is watching over, but he is not controlling those kind of minutiae. Our job is not 
to understand what can't be understood, but to rejoice in the awareness that God is involved where He needs to be, that He knows our limits, that He knows His non-negotiables, that He will not allow you to be tested beyond your ability to endure, but will with the temptation also provide a way to escape. So here are some truths I want you to practice and, and affirm. The first is God has a plan for your life, that He orders your steps as Psalm 37.23 says it. That sometimes even when you make wrong choices, if that choice is going to be very serious or lead you into serious harm, God will stop you. At the same time, he is, he is allowing those things to happen that will change you, that will shape you. He says to Saul, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will be changed into a different person. And then, whatever your hand finds to do, do it because I am with you. God is in control of history. That's the second thing to affirm. He's in control of history. Acts 17, 26 to 28, Paul is preaching to some Greeks. And he says, from one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. That is true for nations. It's also true for you. God has established those boundaries and he says your job in here is to meet me in the middle. Meet me in that place. Understand also that when things are going bad in the world, they are not a loss of control by God. They are marks of rebellion, maybe decay, and maybe in some cases there are some, there are some uh, moments of you know, where the devil is stirring trouble. But don't sweat the small stuff, because God doesn't. He's got it. He's got it under control. Fourthly, we're all headed toward the big picture. Understand that. The big picture doesn't mean that nothing will ever go wrong. It doesn't mean that you will understand everything. It doesn't mean that you will... That, you will, um, that everything that is happening in your life is kind of fatalistically determined beforehand. What it means is that at the end, when we look back, we will know this. God was there all along, and He has got this every moment of the day. I, um, I sometimes say to people, I've got a lot of back pocket questions. I call them back pocket questions. You know those questions that I've got for God? That when I see Him, I'm going to pull them out of my back pocket and say, after saying hello, uh, when I get to heaven, I'm going to get them out and I'm going to say, can you please explain? Uh, I won't even tell you what my questions are because you've probably got some of your own, enough of your own. But uh, at the same time, one time I, I was talking to the Lord about my back pocket questions and He said, you know what? When you and I get together, you won't ever need to reach into that pocket. Because seeing me, he said, seeing me will make sense of everything. And this is, 
This is where this idea, this understanding of the sovereignty of God leads to. I hope to be with you again in the next few weeks and sharing with you where sovereignty goes, which is to say this. All authority, says the Lord, is given to me in heaven and on earth. And lo, I am with you always. I am with you. The sovereignty of God brings us back to the second reality, which is the presence of God. But that I'm going to leave for next time. Thank you again for having me. God bless you. I'm going to pray with you now. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for the fact that you are the sovereign one. You are the king of the universe. You are the maker of heaven and earth. You are the one who upholds everything by your word of power. And now, Lord, I want to pray that you would come into hearts where maybe there is upheaval, maybe there is uncertainty. And I pray that you would secure hearts in the knowledge that you have got them. You've got them in your hands. Help them, Lord, help every person in the sound of my voice to drive into Hopeland, this tent peg. God is sovereign. God has everything under control. God is not taken by surprise by anything that is happening, either around us, within us, or happening to us. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, let your presence come and bring that reassurance to every heart. Inspire us again with hope. Inspire us again to be secure in our tents in the land called hope. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. And I look forward to seeing you again next time.